All right, the rest of us, let's open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. <laughs> as long as you know where we're going. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you, or just raise your hand. Someone from behind you will probably pass you one, or in front of you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So, Paul is the apostle. He's sent by God to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles, which are people who are not Jews. And people are coming to Jesus Christ. Lives are being changed. People who are living in total darkness. Their lives got turned upside down. People who were bound by horrible, horrible sin. And sin that is not even horrible on our scale. People are being freed from it. The inner workings of their hearts are being exposed. Jesus is speaking into the life of the church. He is cleansing people of darkness and bringing light. New life is happening. How many of you need that today? New life, new energy, new filling, new purpose, all those types of things, they are found in Jesus Christ. And Paul's talking to a very young church. And how many of you remember what it's like to be a new believer or perhaps a new believer? Boy, there's a lot of trials and temptations headed your way right away. Right away. I don't know how in the world people get off telling you when you give your heart to Jesus, everything's going to be rainbows and unicorns. Yeah, maybe like with bullets and like things dying everywhere and exploding. It's hard. Because as soon as you give your heart to Jesus Christ, as soon as you surrender your soul, your will over to the Lord and say, save me, there's nothing good in me. And that pride falls down before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes in and He makes you a new creation. By faith, when He does that, the enemy takes notice. And He goes, you just switch sides. And if we can get you while you're not established, if we can uproot you, if we can get you discouraged or wanting to turn back from your faith, all right. And that's what He does. And so here, Paul only had three months to talk to this church before he was kicked out, literally. Remember, he got, there's a lot of situations going on, threat, life threatened, he had to move on. And now Paul's moving on, and he went to Athens, and he's thinking about this new church that just had been, just had been born. And there's these people here who are experiencing persecution now. Three weeks into the Lord, four weeks into the Lord, five weeks into the Lord. And now people are starting to drag you out of your house, starting to beat you and starting to kill you and starting to isolate you and you're losing your job and all these things. We live in America, right? Where we have kind of a, a tolerance, so to speak, for that. It's been going increasingly less. But in this culture, it was night and day. You've seen the Middle East on TV. Not much has changed. 
And so here's these precious believers. What do you, what do, you do? What do you do when you're persecuted for your faith? What do you do when trials come into your life? What do you do when it gets hard? When it's no longer fun to be a Christian? What happens? Paul's really concerned. Really concerned. And this is where he picks up in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians 3, sorry. He says, so we could stand it no longer. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So he's in Greece. This whole area is in Greece. He's talking about the Thessalonians. And we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that, when we, were, that we are destined for them. In fact, verse 4, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. So Paul, he brings this church to the Lord. The Holy Spirit falls upon him. It fills this church. People are starting to come out from their old lives, starting to live this new life. It's not religion. Religion is living all the outside accoutrements of Christianity, wearing the clothes, talking the talk, going to church, all these types of things, talking to people, but there's no inward change. The desire that Jesus would have, the, the, the true being born again means you're changed from the inside out. And it starts to go that way. And then you start to model Jesus. And Jesus, what does He look like? He didn't look too hot according to Isaiah 53. It wasn't something that we would look at and go, oh, look at how perfect he was. Look at that steel jawline and those blue eyes and he highlights his hair and all this stuff. None of that. It was the inward beauty that came out. And that's what we're talking about, the inward beauty. The inward that Jesus starts working on in our souls. And then the outward just conforms to that. So easily, we're, we're so quick to try to get external modification in people. Start acting right. Start doing this. Start doing that. Change this. Stop doing this. When in reality, it's the inside that needs to change. And when God deals with our will, when our insides are changed, when, when the Holy Spirit is in charge, when we learn to give into that, then the outside changes. The actions fall off. I said, I remember I worked in a bowling alley. Yes, I was sandbagging you guys last night. I was joking. I was like, you know, after I bowled my first game, you know, it was really good, you know, and that's usually how it works. And then the second game, third game. And then I turned, I think I was turning to Fred and I'm, I was all, did I tell you that I'm actually left-handed? You know, I was just joking around. <laughs> and he's all, as am I, you know, we're just, <laughs> we're going back and forth. But anyways, what was I talking about? Where are we? Something about Thessalonians, I know that. Yeah, sandbagging, yes, exactly, I don't know. I don't know, it was going somewhere. Oh yeah, first Christian working on bowling out, yeah. So obviously it's like working construction, there's some very colorful words going on and things like that, and uh, savory people, and I remember that we had 60 lanes, and I remember 
you know, going out into the parking lot and getting high and then just putting on Pink Floyd and like, you know, for hours and hours cleaning the lanes. It was it was quite glorious and pretty stupid, actually. I mean, in my own mind, I was thinking this is wonderful. And there was just a darkness that was in my heart. There was an oppression. I, you know, was, I lived for the temporary high. I lived, I remember two years straight being high, you know, and I'm driving by thrifties and go, man, I'd really like an ice cream cone. You know I mean? It's, it's like your mind. And it just went down. And it, it sounds funny on the surface, but really there was some spiritual darkness. And towards the end of that time, I started hearing voices. And that was freaking me out. You know, you start into this stuff, you don't realize what you're caught into. And then the fruit of it actually starts to come about in your lives. And you start to have heart murmurs and you start to hear voices and you start to isolate socially and you're thinking your head's going to explode and all this type of stuff's going on. That's not how it was when it started out in the beginning. That's the way sin is. In all of its forms. It starts out fun, usually. Exciting. And it goes down a road. And I remember that the Lord got a hold of my life when I was working at that bowling alley. And I just remember people walking up to me, a person, I don't even know who it was. They walked up and said, man, you don't cuss anymore. What's going on? I'm like, I don't. It wasn't a conscious effort on my part. God just changed me from the inside out. I, re, you know, I, I let him in. And as he came in, the darkness went away. And it just changed over and over and over. And this is what it is to walk with the Lord. Marcus said it perfectly this morning as we were praying. You know, just that was the Spirit just speaking through him, just reminding us, you know, it's about bringing you glory and to keep it simple. How do we keep it simple? Just trust and obey. Love and obey. I love you, and so I'm going to do what you say. And then your life just starts to look more like Jesus. That's it. And so there are things in your life this morning, the Lord's saying, Trust me in this. Love me, and my love language is obedience. Come follow me, and you find out, okay, I love you. I mean, you love me, I love you. Okay, my actions are going to follow. Then you start to surrender something to the Holy Spirit, and what happens? You start to change, and you benefit from it greatly. So my life started to change. And instead of beer cans being on the backyard, on on the lawn, and just defiance and loud music for my neighbors and just a total self, you know, absorbed type of person, my life started to change. Jesus started to fill my heart. Love started to be my motivation, so I thought about my neighbor before I put on my music. It wasn't about my rights. It was about how can I be a witness? And beer cans were gone and then all of a sudden without me preaching very much my mom and my sister started to see how i were living and the holy spirit convicted them and they repented and walked back to the lord not because you know of of some great goodness within me but because jesus was alive jesus is alive and in that the enemy hates that He absolutely hates it when he sees that happening in your life. And he will come in and find a weakness and start to exploit it and discourage you and to get you off track. 
And so what, what do we do? What happens? And Paul says, I, I sent Timothy because I was so concerned about you being derailed in your faith that I sent Timothy to go do two things. To strengthen and encourage you. Strengthen means, I just, the picture I have in my mind is you, is you take cement and you pour it in the ground, you know, you dig a deep trench, you pour it down, you're putting posts in there for something permanent, you set it down and you're holding it in place until it sets. It's set and it's just, it becomes firm and founded and it's just not going to budge. The wind's going to come and things, it's just going to be set. The cement is still wet, so to speak. Not that God, you know, not that we can lose our salvation, but he's having a struggle here between, yes, there's faith, but there also has to be that action. What's going on? I'm concerned about your lives. We can have this blasé attitude about, ah, I'm saved, see you later, and live like hell. I would be very concerned, and I am concerned when that happens. In my own life and in yours. And Paul is. And he's sitting there, comes, I, I can't, I've got to send Timothy to come strengthen you and encourage you. We know that word encourage means to come alongside, and it's not to tell you what you want to hear all the time. That's part of it. To encourage you is to make you more courageous. To set you into who you should be. To coach is the, uh, the idea I have. To instruct, to come alongside and to drag you out of bed. and to go, Let's go. That's not who you are. Let's go. And so to strengthen, to set them firm, to remind them of who they are and to encourage in your faith. And he's going to repeat this over and over. Paul is concerned not so much primarily about their physical being or how they feel and all these types of things because he knows that your bodies are going to go through problems. He knows that your feelings are going to go up and down, but your faith is what he's primarily concerned with. That's what is important. Primarily, not these other things. We, we know that from First John, other things. Your faith. How are you dealing with trust in the Lord in this trial's that you're facing. This is what's going on. And so verse 3, so that no one would would be unsettled by these trials. We're going to experience trials. He sent Timothy so they would not be unsettled in trials. You came to the Lord, anybody who gives their heart to Jesus, expect trials. Jesus promised persecution. Second, uh, Second Timothy chapter two, verse thirteen, or whatever it is. You know, anyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. Those are promises we can take to the bank, right, Larry? Taking things to the bank, we'll take that one to the bank. You know, First uh, Peter chapter uh, four, verses twelve through nineteen. Just read it real quickly here. First Peter chapter four, starting in verse twelve. Give you a second to get there, if you want. Feel free to use your phones as Bibles. I do. Sometimes it's quicker. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. How many of you have it translated trials in your translation? Several of you. Do not be surprised at the fiery trials, not the light and fluffy trials. Fiery trials. Firefighter. 
How do you like fire? Is it, is it pretty, you know, just want to run in and dance around? Or you, you, there's caution, there's, there's fear that creeps up. It kind of taps into your primal being. You're like going, oh my gosh, you're, you just got to get to safety, right? You got to, you know, I mean, I don't know when I see a big fire, like in San Diego, the winds would come. You're instantly thinking, am I okay? What's going to happen? Life and death. It starts to get real, real serious real quick. And that's what he's talking about here. Do not be surprised at the fiery trials, the fiery ordeals that has come upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening on you, about you. We'll see, we'll read here that Satan uses those opportunities of trials to tempt while God uses them to test. Satan will use a trial in your life to draw you away, to get you to deny the Lord, to get you to run to sin, to run to escape, to run to drugs, to run to alcohol. Those are the symptoms. To run to whatever it is, except in, in, as opposed to running to faith, running to Jesus, running to the cross, embracing the suffering, putting your eyes upon the return of Jesus Christ as your hope. Knowing that just as Jesus suffered, so we will suffer. And know that Jesus, just as Jesus overcame and rose again, so we will too. And that is how we endure trials. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But this, Peter's just laying it out. Don't be surprised if these things are happening to you. As though something strange is going to happen, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his, when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal. Don't suffer for dumb things. That's not how we suffer. However, if you suffer as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, that word Christian means little Jesus, just like him. If you suffer for imitating Jesus, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time the judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Trials and suffering are a part of our life. When they come into our life, we're to continue just as Jesus continued. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But he says that you're destined to experience these things. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would, and that's exactly what happened. Verse 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. About your faith. And I was afraid that some, in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. Satan wants to tempt you when you run into trials. How many of you are in trials? The rest of you get ready. <clears throat> because while when you hit a trial, when you hit a situation, there are two forces working and they're not equal and opposite. I mean, they are opposite, but they're not equal. God is very powerful, but he will allow us to either be tempted by the enemy and be pulled away from the Lord or we'll take that trial and we will embrace the Lord. And it's amazing how trials really bring out what is truly within us. Circumstances, I don't think they cause us to do things. They reveal what's within us. Circumstances re reveal what's already within us. 
You wonder what happened about those firefighters who ran up those buildings at, in 9-11? That just showed who they were. That wasn't a decision-making point, I don't think, even though it was a willful decision. But that was what was in their heart. We're going to go rescue people. In spite of ourselves, it came out. And so when trials come up in our lives, it shows who we we are. And that can be a tremendous tool for growth. Because look how much I've grown since the last time I failed. (laughs) You know? Upward and onward in Christ Jesus. You will fail as a Christian. The enemy will come tempt you. You will move away. But we we don't want to make that the pattern, the lifestyle, the practicing sin. We want to be pulled back by the Spirit, allow Him to take over again and strengthen our hearts. So the enemy comes in and he desires to pull you away while God desires to strengthen you, bring you towards Him. But Timothy, verse 6, has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love. Not about... All these other things that he's writing about right now, those are important, but he said good news about your faith and love. And he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. And I love that. I don't know if any of you have been involved with uh, missionaries or been involved in any type of connection where you have brothers and sisters who don't live close to you. And when you go see them, you just, you can't wait to connect. And this is the idea, the heart behind it. Man, I just can't wait. Verse 7, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distresses and persecutions, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. He says it again and again and again. Verse 8, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Parents, there's no greater joy to know that your kids are walking in the Lord. And there's no greater pain and source of frustration when they aren't. I've talked to many of you on both sides of it. And that's Paul. you can see what Paul's saying, now I really live, that I know that you are his, that you're walking, that you're living out who you ought to be. <sighs> yes! Praise God. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of of our God because of you, verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly, and he gives you a few things here, uh, three things, uh, that we might, we pray night and day most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And we, if you read Romans 1, 11, it talks about how I long to be with you so that I can impart some spiritual gift to you. Uh, not that not that I'm just going to give you something, but we can mutually encourage each other in the faith. And this is why it's so important for fellowship. All you lone rangers, repent. Seriously. God has created us for fellowship. He put us in families. He put us in body. And, and, and I know, you know this is something that, I, that doesn't come naturally, but who cares what's natural? I want to be biblical, right? And so, Lord, he's put you in this body to get to know other guys. So we go bowling. It's fun, but we're creating relationships to talk about faith. Talk about Jesus. Talk about how you're doing with the Lord. How's love working out in your life? Where's the fruit, brother? Or it's not. And that's a great thing. So don't be a lone ranger. Get rid of the excuses. Me too. 
And then verse 11, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. There's an obstacle in the way, and we read about it in the previous chapter, that Satan hindered Paul from going to visit these people. Paul wanted to go back, but he couldn't. It might have been because of persecution. It might have been because of his health. It might have been because of several different things. We don't know. It doesn't say. But just know that we have an enemy. And he would desire to hinder us from encouraging and from strengthening one another. And so if you can't do it, send someone else. (laughs) Find a way around it. Pray through it. Seek the Lord. And then here's the three things. Verse 12. Well, that was that was it. First, to clear the way. Secondly, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow to each other and for everyone else. So for the church and for those on the outside, this should be something we're growing in. If you're not growing in the love of Jesus, you're stagnant. If you're well-churched, yay. We want to be well Loving to other people. Amen? It's got to have that outflow. So you should be increasing in that for each other, be it be us, and everyone else. Just as ours does for you. Verse 13, May He strengthen your hearts, third thing, so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. May He strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless. No one can look at you and say that there's any reason to find fault with you. And the word holy. Moral purity. Moral purity. Morally pure. Can you say that you, I am holy? Now we are holy in Christ Jesus positionally. And, and I don't want to get into the theology at the moment. That would take me too long to lay out the sancti- three sanctifications and all that stuff. You're holy in the Lord. Are you living it out? How's that looking in your life? Can people look at you and say, you're blameless. I can't find fault with that person. And holy, moral purity, you're living like Jesus. Or are we tainted by the world? Are we tainted by the world? And now Paul's going to move from his prayer for the church to constant reminders and exhortations he's going to take it off the ivory tower of theology hey be holy live blameless now what does that look like how does that actually work in your life in my life and now many of you in chapter four we're only going to go for the first few verses here it says as for other matters brothers and sisters so they wrote when they, when he came back they're asking questions We instructed you how to live in order to please God. Did you know there's a way that you can live to please God? So when we're born again, we are automatically accepted, right? But now we're called to live it out. We're called to live out the position that we've been given. And if we don't live out that position, we're not pleasing God. I want to please the Lord. Amen? And it's a growing thing. We're growing in it all the time. 
the sanctification. Okay, we won't get into that. I'll try not to. And in fact, you are living it. You guys are living that life. You're doing it. Praise God. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So God's given you grace and you've responded in one area of your life. What's the next thing he's talking about? What's the next area he's asking you about in your life? How many of you have been walking with the Lord for a long, long time? Still going, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. It does. It continues on until we go home. But he goes, this is how do you please the Lord? Verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Jesus, of Lord Jesus. These are the, this, this is from the Lord. These are commandments from the Lord. The authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Christianese word. I know it. Sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Set apart. Totally. Extra credit. Good job. See me after class. <laughs> Listen. There are things in, in the Jewish mindset that, that if they were reading this, they would understand. Sanctified. They had the temple. They had instruments that were dedicated, consecrated to be used only in the temple. You didn't take the fork that was used to take the meat out of the pot and go use that in your house. You didn't take the cups that were to be used in the service of the Lord in the house to pour out the drink offerings or whatever it might be to go and use, you know, to feed the chickens in the barn. There was a specific purpose. It was set apart. It was not to be used for common things. God's will is for you to be sanctified, to be set apart. You are like one of those precious instruments, not a common instrument. And I know we're kind of looking, I'm a cup. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's trying to use an earthly analogy, something in their mindset that they would get and all their temple worship that was around them. So they would go, oh, I get it. I'm not like this, this common thing. I am, wow, I'm that. Be sanctified. Jesus bought you. He purchased you. He loves you. And he's pulled you out of that life of darkness. And he set you apart for a specific purpose, a specific reason, a specific calling in Christ Jesus. And it's his will that you would be set apart from the world. You're no longer of that life. And now he's going to give a real practical application of how that plays out in the culture and the struggles that they were dealing with in the Grecian culture at that time. And he says, For you know the instructions we gave you by the authority of Jesus Christ. This is coming from the king. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each one of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans. We do not know God, 
So the word for sexual morality is pornea, which is where we get our word pornography. It's not limited to pornography. This is sexual immorality. Some of you have the word fornication there. Same thing. This covers all sexual morality, adultery, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, whatever you want to call it, homosexuality, bestiality, lust of the heart, pornography. It covers it all. God's will is that you would refrain from all of that. You are no longer in the common court. You're now a king's kid. That's no longer how you live. It's sin. And you wonder why Paul got persecuted. It's going to take a few minutes. It's important to finish up on this. This is the Lord Jesus talking. This is His authority that you should refrain from this stuff. That we should refrain from it. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. This area was so plagued that anything that was godly is no longer considered relevant. Greece. They said, we have our, you know, their philosophers would talk and they'd say, hey, we have our prostitutes, you know, to, to have our, you know, flings on the side and to take care of our earthly needs. We have our whores to satisfy these things, other things, and we have our wives to take care of our houses. That's the mentality. Anything goes. What kind of society do we live in now? It doesn't make a difference. Paul is pulling these people and he's saying, listen, that's no longer your life. That's contrary to the calling that God has called you to. Your life is no longer dictated by the culture. It's dictated by the king and its love and its goodness. We live in a society that does not know God's design. It rejects him as the designer and therefore we make up our own rules and our own laws. And that is why you can go ahead and have these crazy bathroom situations in California. That is why our money is going for abortion. That is why our money is going towards insane things. Because we've left our Creator. And Romans talks about that. We just get perverted in our minds. And God gives us over. Okay, go crazy. And that becomes the standard in the culture. And anyone who stands for righteousness, for man and a woman, together for life, is closed-minded and hateful and all these types of things. I don't take my understanding of life from Hollywood or from the White House or from any other place. We take it from the Lord Jesus. And He commands that we should abstain from these things because He has a purpose. 
I was listening to Robbie Zacharias. He's an apologist, and he was quoting from uh, A Pilgrim's Regress by C.S. Lewis. And, he, and he's, this is me reading what he said. He said, C.S. Lewis wrote about a man who ordered milk and eggs from a waiter in a restaurant. And after tasting the milk, he, co- he commented to the waiter that it was delicious. And the waiter replied, Milk is only the secretion of a cow, just like urine and feces. And after eating the egg, he commented on the tastiness of the egg. And again, the waiter responded that eggs are only a byproduct of a chicken. And after thinking about the waiter's comment for a moment, the man responded, You lie. You don't know the difference between what nature has meant for nourishment and what it has meant for garbage. And that's exactly what is happening in our culture today. We have left the Creator, and we are saying that transgendering is natural and it is okay, when it actually it is abomination. Why are we fascinated with Bruce Jenner transgendering from one person to another when we should be mourning and crying and praying for that person? When we have a culture that says, that marriage between a woman, a woman, and a man and a man is marriage when God says, no, it's not. And somehow I'm hateful. They're deceived. They're fooled, just like all of us can be in one area of our lives or another. But it's becoming commonplace in our culture. And God's judgment is coming on that, and we should be actively salt and light and praying and weeping and calling people out of it like Noah. It's a hard situation. And I realize someone listens on this tape and all of a sudden we're flagged as a church that blah, blah, blah. So be it. We stand with Jesus. This is not a hate issue. It's not a control issue. It's a love issue. The ship is going down. God says, as children of the Lord, we have to embrace our new nature, our new creation. You are a new creation. You're no longer bound by that. That is not what He's designed you for. He's designed you to be one man, one woman for life. And sex within that context is designed to have maximum fulfillment Maximum everything. Lifelong, together, ups and downs. That's the way God made us. He designed us. Anything outside of that, repent. And repent today. This is from the Lord Jesus. And Paul goes on. Learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. And I know that some versions say your, your, your vessel or a wife. That's not what that is, should be translated as. It's learn to control your body. Have self-control. Learn to do that. That means give in to the Holy Spirit. Did you know you no longer have to be controlled by those desires? You are no longer a slave. I wanted to read Romans 6, and I'll probably close doing that and... You're no longer controlled by those things. Anybody in this room have sexual desire? Just me? 
Wait, I'm a pastor. Never mind. <laughs> Dear Lord, praise God for my wife. Praise God. You know what I mean? Learn to control it. How do you do that? You give into the Spirit. What you feed will grow. What you feed will grow. So what are you watching, guys? Gals, what are you, what are you reading? What is, what's going on? What you feed will grow. It will. You put Jesus in your heart, more spirit, flesh gets crucified. You put TV and all this other crud that's going on in your mind and in your heart constantly, you're pumping that into your mind, you're going to look like it. You're going to feed it. It's going to grow. This is not a legal thing. This is a relationship with the Lord. You want to know how to walk with the Lord? Be holy. Cut it off. Separate. We just can't dabble with our foot in the world. We wonder why our light isn't strong. We wonder why we're, we're not impacting the community. We wonder why it's just nominal Christianity. Everybody calls us hypocrites because we're not sanctified, because we're not holy, because we're not walking according to the Spirit. We're walking according to flesh. And God says, I will judge those people. I don't want to be that. And judgment begins at the house of the Lord, Peter said. How do you get away with that? I can't, I can't tell you everything's going to be okay. We're all saved, so woohoo. Yeah, that means that it's time's up. <laughs> and now for commercial break. <clears throat> Verse 5. You're not to live in passionate lust like the pagans, like people don't know who don't know the Lord. You're no longer like that. Who do not know the God. In verse 6, and we'll end here. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. You guys shouldn't be doing this stuff in the Lord. That's what pagans do. And if you're doing this in the Lord, the next verse says, The Lord will punish all who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. I don't know what that means but it's there to scare the heck out of me. The Lord will punish if you're living that life. Expect it. He's good on his word. This is a commandment from Jesus. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject the human being, but God, the very one who gives you his Holy Spirit. You got a problem with that teaching? Take it up with a man. Take it up with Jesus. Paul is very clear. The answer is repent. The answer is live holy. The answer is embrace the things that God created you for and you will find fulfillment in them. True fulfillment. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to read Romans 6 and it will take us three minutes and I know our flesh is going crazy right now. It is. And we're going to read verses 6 to 14. Actually, we're going to read just verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase, so grace may abound? Hey, I'm under grace. I'm saved. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it in it? Any longer? Or did you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live in new life. God is calling you to new life. You died with him through faith and now just as he was raised and has new life, you are to have new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. The one that was ruled by your sexual desires might be done away with. The one that was ruled by whatever, fill in the blank. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that he will also, uh, that we will also live with him. We, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has any mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In that same way, the same way that Jesus died and rose again and can't experience death again, in that same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. This is where our urges and all those things come down to, I count it dead, I reckon it dead. It is a mathematical fact, I'm dead. And dead people don't get enticed by much, do they? That's impossible, I have a body. We live by faith. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. We no longer live based upon what we see, in what we feel, we live upon what he says. Now, that reality has to come into our lives and it has to change us. We have to live upon it. Next time you're faced with that temptation, I reckon myself dead and you run away like Joseph and you embrace Christ and you eradicate the things from your life that are leading you down that path. And you're not among people who have never experienced that. And that's the big lie that the enemy wants to tell you. Oh, you're all alone. If they knew, they would think. It's like, are you kidding? We all are tempted in this way. Some more than others. Some fail more than others. But I'm sure there's other things that people are failing in. But this is what's going on in that culture. And he wants to talk to them about this situation that's going to derail them in their walk with Jesus. And let's just finish this last part. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't do that. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves... You notice that word instrument there, right? But rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Being under grace means you now have mastery over sin. And that is needs to change in the mindset of the church. Grace is not a free ticket. That's what he starts out the chapter with. Grace is a changed life. Sanctified leads to holiness. You want to know how to have a, how to have a morally pure life? Be set apart. That's how it works. Be set apart. 
Reckon it so. I am dead. I am now over here and now I'm over here. And you just trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. And God will work it out over the long run. And you get hiccuped and you get into problems. You have the body of Christ around you to start kicking you in the butt and loving you and hugging you and doing all that stuff, right? Get you back on the path. Church, I want to have a powerful church. And I don't want to have a powerful church the way the world sees power. That's not going to work for what God's called us to do. He's called us to be a church on our knees, a, a church that is apart from the world, but in the world. So pray it up. And whatever God is laying in your hearts this week to surrender, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. And we are here to pray for you and encourage you. Don't think that your struggle is something that no one else has been through or that you're going to have condemnation. That's a lie. The enemy wants to sit there and tell you, you know, we're just going to beat you up. Yeah, we're going to call you to the carpet because people who love each other call each other the carpet in love. Amen? And I expect the same in my life. Lord God, we love you. And we want to love you not just with word, but deed. And so please just wake in your church to this treachery that's going on in our hearts and our lives that permeates our culture, that's permeating our church. Rescue us, Lord Jesus. Just your grace is what we need. Your grace in our hearts. Our reminder that there's forgiveness, but let that grace, God, in our hearts change us. To not have be controlled and slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness, slaves to the things you've called us to, to live in that calling of the new creation. So your sheep are gathered before you, of whom I am one of the most matted ones. And we need you. We need you to come and tend to us, to our spirits, to come lead us beside the still water, to restore our souls to take us and protect us, to be our shield, to cut out the flaws, Lord, with your word, to encourage us, to help us to grow in you. Bring us true freedom, Lord, true freedom in our souls today. We love you and we praise you and we give you all in the name of Jesus. Amen.